On behalf of Copeland Financial Ministries, I would like to welcome you to the workshop series titled Handling Money God's Way. The presenter, Tom Copeland, is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom has helped thousands of people learn and apply God's financial principles, including reducing debt and saving for future needs. Tom is a chartered professional accountant and the founder and president of Copeland Financial Ministries. Tom's financial moments are aired on numerous radio and TV stations. Now, here's Tom teaching what the Bible says about handling money God's way. In the first part, I provided an overview of what God's Word, the Bible says with respect to stewardship, including an appropriate definition of Christian stewardship, more specifically, the following. Christian stewardship is acknowledging in mind and heart that God owns absolutely everything. In other words, God owns your money, your home, your skills, and even your life. And then using all assets in accordance with God's principles and God's specific will. In order to fulfill your stewardship responsibilities, you need to do the following. I'm going to suggest three things. One, on a regular basis, spend quality time with the Lord in prayer, asking God for His wisdom and His specific direction in managing the money that God has entrusted to you. Two, study and meditate on God's Word with respect to finances regularly. Joshua 1.8 says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And three, Trust God to meet your needs and direct you according to His will. If we fulfill our stewardship responsibilities, God has promised that He will meet our needs, Matthew 6, 31-33, and direct us in respect of our financial decisions. In Psalms 32:8, God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Now let's start with part two of session one, which deals with the topic of stewardship, where I provide a real-life example of two men who take a very different approach to managing money, and uh, you will see some of the differences and get an opportunity to listen to the commentary. I'll go into the case study. In the case study, you'll, you'll see it'll be more interactive because I'm going to ask some questions and, and throw it out. Okay, here's the first case study. I've seen lots of jobs in Dave's, John and Dave's. They may not be brothers, but uh, this is a common scenario for both individuals. John and Dave are brothers. Both are in typical middle-class incomes. However, their perspective on finances are very different. John believes that you can't take it with you, so you might as well enjoy it today. As a result, he spends all of his income, and then some, lives in an expensive home with his wife and family, and they drive two luxury automobiles. John feels that he has worked hard for his money, and that he has earned the right to spend it as he wishes. John and his wife have no savings, and are frequently forced into debt when an unexpected expenditure arises. As a result, they've accumulated significant debts, over the past several years, and receiving phone calls from creditors are commonplace in their home. Dave and his wife, on the other hand, live a very frugal lifestyle. They are excellent at budgeting, ensure that all bills are paid on time, and are very willing to sacrifice a lot in order to accumulate savings. They both feel good in knowing that they own a substantial investment portfolio. By 50 years of age, they have saved more than enough for retirement and their children's education, Nevertheless, they still continue to pinch their pennies and save even more. They lose a lot of sleep at night whenever their investment portfolio decreases in value as a result of market volatility. Both John and Dave give sporadically to their church, amounting to about 1% of their income. So here's the questions. Let's take John, for example. 
Do you feel that John has practiced biblical stewardship? See the definition above and please explain your perspective. If you remember the definition of biblical stewardship uh, back on number 17, have a quick look at that again. Here it is. Acknowledging in your heart and mind that God owns absolutely everything and using all assets in accordance with God's principles and God's will. So have they practiced biblical stewardship? Um, I said no, because he doesn't acknowledge that it belongs to God. He thinks that he can spend it as he wants. Exactly. No, he doesn't acknowledge that it's, it's, it's God's. Here's my suggested solution. No, John has not acknowledged God's ownership of the money that God has entrusted to him. John believes that he is the owner, and therefore it is his right to spend money as he wishes, generally on selfish desires. John does not give the first fruits to God's work. He is violating God's financial principles by spending more than he earns and accumulating debt. He is a bad testimony to creditors. You'll see, whenever I give an answer, I always give a reference to Scripture. And as we get into some more here, I'm going to be encouraging you to give a reference to Scripture for your answer if you can. Because when you do that, you know you're giving biblically-based financial advice. Number two, what biblical financial principles has John violated? Please give a reference to Scripture for each point. Both John and Dave are not tithing regularly, and they're only tithing 1% to the church. So they're violating Deuteronomy. He will lend to you, but you will not lend to him. I'd add another verse to that. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, 3, uh, uh, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled over flowing, and, and your vats will brim over with new wine. What both of these people are doing is giving God, I call it giving them the leftovers. And often the leftovers are not very much. They're not giving God the first fruits. They're not make, giving to God a, a priority. Not a legalism, it's a priority. Because although we don't have any sessions on giving, I believe that the emphasis in Scripture is towards generous giving, and generous giving depends upon the facts of each circumstance. A, mom, a single mom with three kids and a modest income, 3 4 5% may be generous giving. Actually, it may be sacrificial. Someone that has a high income... 10% may not be generous giving. It probably isn't. It's just giving out of obedience. Anyhow, any other comments on this? About John has violated some other biblical principles. What else has he violated? Uh, Proverbs 21:20 20 says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So John is basically spending everything he's got. Excellent verse, Proverbs 21:20. 20. And the idea, that the emphasis in that scripture, the way it, I have it quoted is TLB version, but that's superb, is the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. He fell into the foolish category. Excellent. Thanks, Tim. One thing is that John is not loving God with his whole being. Mm -hmm. um, he is loving possessions and material things. That's a good one. Okay. God. Scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, he's, he's clearly not showing his love for God. Because giving to God's work is a reflection of that. He's really just operating selfishly. Anything else? He's focusing on earthly values and not heavenly values. In Matthew six nineteen to 21, it talks about um, storing up for yourself what's in heaven and not on earthly things. Excellent. He's focused on the temporal and not the eternal. I just went back to one that you had quoted earlier, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he didn't have any wisdom. Like he never sought it from God. He just kept it all to himself. Excellent. He wasn't seeking God's wisdom at all. He was operating on his own. These are good answers. Great. Another one? Uh, I'm not very comfortable when we say 3% per percentage because I'm not trying to be legalistic too. 
Uh, Bible says tithing is around 10%, right? Like I, I keep telling my friends 10% because the more we give, I've never had an experience anybody has become poor by giving to God. So should we make compromises on that? I was in, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, it says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows generously will also reap generously. I would just say on that point, the actual Old Testament Mosaic law tithe is 23%, not That's 10%. True. That's true. So there's a lot of people who misunderstand that point. Yep. So if we want to be legalistic and go back to the Mosaic Law, then it's 23%. I agree. I agree. Yeah. There's a Leviticus tithe of 10% once a year. There was a festive tithe of 10% once a year. And there was a poor tithe of 10% every three years. So it was about 23 and a third. Now that, that was uh, almost, uh, at that time, it was a theocratic government. That was almost like a, a taxation. Your offerings to God were actually above that. The emphasis, I think, for us who are not under Mosaic Law is to give generously. And it's interesting. There's no, don't be constrained, especially for how wealthy we are. Don't ever be constrained by 10%. As God blesses you, and as it shows so often in Scripture, if, if we make giving to God's work a priority, He will bless us. You know, it's funny. In all, all the case studies, there's no session here on, on the area of giving and on the six we're doing, but almost always it, it comes out. These are excellent answers. Here's a, the suggested solutions I had. Uh, John had no financial plans, such as a budget. Luke 14, 28 to 30 says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. We don't build towers today, but we should build or save for future needs. Uh, could be retirement, children's education, or whatever. And, and Christ said, if you, if you want to do something, if you don't plan ahead, you're foolish. That's the essence of the parable of the tower, is that you need to plan ahead. Number two, too much debt. He took on too much debt. In Proverbs 22, 7 says, you become a servant to the lender. He uh, did not pay his creditors on time. In Romans 13, 5, it says, let no debt remain outstanding. And also, that's a bad testimony. John was very selfish. He was putting his needs first above everything else. His desires, really. His focus was on material things. This, uh, someone made reference to this. He was focused on treasures on earth, on things of, of a temporal nature rather than things of an eternal nature. And John spent all of his income. He had no savings, to make reference to that. John believes he, he's the owner and not, not a steward. And number eight, John does not give generously to God's work. Okay, so discuss the relevant and application of the following verses in respect of John's approach to managing money. Write your comments below each verse. So here's the first verse, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How does that apply to John? He was just consumed with himself. He just thought it was satisfying his own needs and his own desires. Yeah. He didn't think about giving generously or anything like that. Yeah. And he didn't think about his creditors either, or even the future, about providing for future needs of his family. Do you think he saved for children's education? No. And so what do you think happens when his kids come out of, out of post-secondary? Like most of them, they got forty to fifty thousand dollars over the debt. Very common. If there's two degrees, eighty to thousand, eighty to a hundred thousand is very common. So two, uh, a young man and a young woman get married. So often they got a hundred to two hundred thousand of debt. They're already behind the eight ball. So that that answer was smack on. Number four. Do you feel that Dave has practiced biblical stewardship? Dave is the guy that was the saver. John was the spender. Do you think Dave has practiced biblical stewardship? I would say in contrast to John, his security was in the feel-good aspect. He, um, they would be sleepless nights over 
worry about their money. So what are they investing in if, if it's that volatile? Mm-hmm. And secondly, uh, that be anxious for nothing piece is not there as part, in part of their life, nor is that they're actually practicing bank conceit and selfish ambition, but in a different way. That's true. That's a very good point. He was, Dave was selfish in a different way in terms of trying to accumulate. Any other comments? Not a chance was he a steward because he yep. really didn't respect God as being the owner of everything that he owned yep. presently. Absolutely. And, and, you know, as it says, when it went down, he realized that it was his still. Yep. And it was not his ever. Yep. If you look at the parable of the rich fool in Luke uh, chapter 12, starting at verse 15, remember the rich fool was the guy who was a farmer. God blessed him tremendously. He had a phenomenal crop come in that, that year. Instead of looking up and saying, Lord, you've blessed me. What do you want me to do with this? He said, no, I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and I'll, and I'll store up all my, my earthly goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things for many years. Eat, eat, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Bottom line, his trust and his faith was in his wealth. There was nothing wrong with him being wealthy, but his, that's where he put his trust and his faith. And of course, God called him a fool because that very night his life would be demanded of him, and who would get what he stored up for himself. So the idea is that, and that's the problem Dave has here. He's, he's basically trusting in, in his, his vest, investment portfolio. Yeah, mine was just the same, uh, same thought that this, he was, he's put his God as money, money as his God essentially, and that uh, all his trust and everything was in that instead of the real God. You think he had a problem with the love of money? That's one place where it shows up. When you start trusting in money and material things, for your security. That's, that's one sign of the love of money. And we know Paul said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's interesting in that verse that, that uh, Paul's actually talking about Christians because they wandered from the faith. So here's my suggested solutions. Dave is not acknowledged in his heart and mind that God owns everything. Dave is not giving God the first fruits. Dave continues to save and accumulate when it is no longer necessary. Dave is hoarding, just like the parable on the rich fool. By the way, for some of the people in the group that are older, and especially if you're debt-free and if you've, you've, you've accumulated enough for, for retirement and uh, your kid's education, all the future needs, there's a point, I believe, where you cross the finish line. And the giving shouldn't be 10 or 15%. Maybe you're giving 50, 60, 70, 80% away, maybe giving part of your capital. Do you want to build up treasures in heaven or do you want to build up treasures on earth? It's really your call. And, and there is such a thing as a finish line financially. Now, that's not as common in our society, but, but it is, because uh, at least for people, let's say, 60 and up, there are quite a few people that have significant assets. And sometimes I suggest to them, they consider do, giving some of it away while they're living. As Ron Blue puts it, do your giving while you're living so you know where it's going. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's really, uh, why just keep accumulating? Anyhow, that's another topic uh, on biblically-based estate planning that we won't be getting into. Um, and number, uh, the big one there, Dave is trusting in his investments, not in God. Okay, what biblical financial principles has Dave violated? Please give a reference to Scripture. So what, what principles has he violated? Well, he's definitely violating that God owns everything. He's not acknowledged God's, uh, God's ownership? Yep. Okay, I'll go through uh, my suggested solutions. Dave has a problem with hoarding and trusting in wealth rather than in God, which is demonstrated by the rich fool in Luke 12. Dave does not make giving to God's work a priority. Dave likely has a problem with the love of money, resulting in a worldly desire to get rich. 
And there's the verse I quoted earlier, 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, where Paul said, for the love of money. It's not money, by the way. Often people misquote that scripture and say, you Christians think money's the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money. It's an ungodly attitude towards money that's the problem. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of material wealth. I mean, in scripture, God entrusted Solomon, Abraham, Job, David with phenomenal amounts of material wealth, but they were able to handle it. And, and they were able to manage and utilize that wealth according to God's principles and God's will. I find in my practice that there's a, there's a few clients that are extremely generous, and I find it really exciting when I see God's people uh, start doing things God's way. And, you know, often what happens, I think of one client, he's got a very, very large business, extremely large, and I look at him and other, at other business people in the industry, and I ask myself why. And when I look at it, the only difference I can tell is he's really generous and gives like 50% of his income away. So it's, it's, there, there's, there's a tie-in there. Number six, from a biblical perspective, what things is Dave doing correctly? Please explain, and if you're able, give a reference to Scripture. There's some things that Dave is doing correctly, and that's co- consistent with Scripture. What are those things? Kind of going back to the verse in Proverbs 21, uh, he's not spending everything he has. He's budgeting and, and uh, mm-hmm. also saving for future needs. That's true. And it's, it's very biblical to plan ahead and save for future needs. Proverbs 21.5 would be one there. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Actually, if you look all through Scripture, I've done a study on it. There's about 40 references in the Bible to planning, and most of the time they come out as an admonition. And in the parable of the tower, Luke 14.28 to 30, I mean, Christ said, if you don't plan ahead, you're foolish. And uh, we need to plan ahead. But as you plan, it's so critical to pray. I think the best planning meeting is a prayer meeting. Pray, pray and plan at the same time your finances and ask God to direct you according to his will. Romans 13, 8 talks about owing no one anything except to love each other. And he had paid his bills all on time. And so. Yep. So let no debt remain outstanding. And he did. He paid his bills on time. And that's biblical. Here's my suggested solutions. Dave is doing some things that are consistent with God's financial principles. He's budgeting, which is biblical, some sort of a financial plan. Call it a cash flow plan, a spending plan, call it whatever you like. Essentially, it's the same. You've got to have a method of tracking your expenses and planning ahead. If you don't, you're just operating based on gut feel and personal desires, and usually that, that results in, in problems. Number two, um, Dave is paying his bills on time. That was mentioned. Three, he's paying down debt. It's biblical. It's not a sin to borrow. It's a sin to borrow, not repay. But the emphasis in Scripture is towards minimal debt and to be very careful with debt. doesn't mean you never borrow, but you've got to really make sure you're careful about it. And by the way, I'd mention, if you go to the very back of the handout, there is a section called Questions to Consider Before Borrowing. And in there, I suggest 11 questions that you consider before borrowing. And I believe that after prayerfully going through those questions, if you can say yes to all 11, then I believe it's God's will for you to borrow the money then, of course, the recommendation would be pay it back as quick as possible so you can minimize your interest costs. But uh, that's one thing that Dave was doing, uh, doing wisely and consistent with Scripture. And he was also saving for future needs such as retirement and children's education. If John and Dave both witnessed to their creditors, whom do you think the creditors would more likely listen to? Consider Matthew five fourteen to 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If, if John and Dave both witnessed to their creditors, who do you think they would, would listen to? I said he'd, they'd probably listen to Dave a bit more. 
because he wasn't wasteful with his money and he was an example of how to better handle money. Not necessarily he did everything right, mm-hmm. but he was a better example yep. to his creditors. Like he made the goal to pay them back. Yep. Exactly. The key there is he was paying his bills on time and meeting his obligations. And uh, if someone doesn't, if a Christian especially doesn't pay their bills or obligations on time, when you, if you try to witness to the creditor, the, the odds are they're, they're not going to listen. So, and that's basically what, what the, the answer was. And of course, Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow men has fulfilled the law. So discuss the relevance and application of the following verses in respect of Dave's approach to managing money. Remember, Dave is the guy that was basically the, the hoarder, the, and, but he, he, he was out of balance. You understand, there's nothing wrong. It's biblical to save for future needs, but, there's, but he was hoarding. He was saving, going way beyond what he, what he really needed to have. He, he'd saved up for retirement and kids' education. He had crossed the finish line is what Dave had done. So how does this verse here apply to, apply to Dave? Though your riches increase, do not yet set your heart on them. I'll repeat that. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Psalms 62.10. Any comments on that one? Although Dave, um, his portfolio increased, but he also uh, has sleepless nights when they went down, so he was setting his heart on them. Yeah. Yep. His heart was set on his material things, especially his investment portfolio. Now, very, very well may be that maybe he's in too risky investments, and that has to be assessed, but um, maybe invested without understanding God's financial principles on investing. But uh, certainly that's where his trust and his faith was. You also get that from the story that him and his wife kept pinching their pennies and kept accumulating more. I'm amazed. Although their situation, John's situation is more common to Dave today than Dave's. John's is much, the spenders is much more common than the savers or the hoarders. It's much more common to have the spending than the, hoard, than the hoarding, but it's still, it's still not God's will is really what my point is. And God's, God's will is somewhere in between. It's a balance. It's to save for future needs. You need to do that. Save for, and have a cushion for unexpected expenditures, but don't hoard. Once you've crossed the finish line, once you have as much as you need, then maybe look at, uh, if, if, you, if God still leads you to continue to work or stay in business, it's fine. Maybe look at really building up some treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth, which generally results in substantial, uh, substantial giving. So we, we hit that one on the head. So blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence in his, is in him. How does that apply? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And the key here is we want to trust God rather than trusting our portfolio or whatever it may be. Some people trust in their job. They think, I got a really secure job, and that's where their trust and their faith is. Our trust really needs to be in the Lord. I would like to share with you another real-life case study. I think of a couple who had four children. Let's call them John and Carol. John earned a below-average salary while his wife, Carol, was a stay-at-home mom. Their personal cash flow was very tight, but nevertheless, they learned and applied God's Word on finances by budgeting carefully and spending their money very wisely. Although it was difficult at times, they did give 10% of their income to the Lord's work, demonstrating their faith and trust in the Lord. Even though John and Carol's lifestyle was quite modest compared to most people, they were content with God's provision and they thanked God regularly for meeting their needs. They praised the Lord for His blessings of good health, a happy marriage, and four children who have all accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. In addition to leading their children to Christ, they have also had the privilege of leading many other relatives and friends to Christ as well. 
John and Carol believe that everything that they own belongs to God and that they are steward of what God has entrusted to them, including their finances, their home, and even their children. So often when they have a material need and they didn't have the funds to pay for that need, John and Carol would sincerely pray and ask God to provide. Often they would see God provide in unusual ways, sometimes in the form of a mini miracle. So what do you think about John and Carol's management of money? Have they practiced biblical stewardship? More specifically, what biblical principles have they followed? Just think about that for a minute. What biblical principles have they followed? Here's my comments. As you can see from this real-life story, this couple have practiced biblical stewardship as they've acknowledged that everything that they own belongs to God and that they're just managers of the money and material things that God has entrusted to them. John and Carol have godly attitudes with respect to money and material things, particularly with respect to contentment. Contentment's a key biblical mindset. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul said, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Here's a question for you to think about. What impact will John and Carol's management of money likely have upon their children? Think about that for a few minutes. What impact do you think it'll have on their kids? I can say from over four decades of experience that the impact that they will have on their kids is phenomenally positive. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. John and Carol have provided an excellent example how to manage money God's way, including giving regularly, budgeting, being content with God's provision, and trusting God to meet their needs as they put Him first. In Matthew 6, 31-33, Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Those are needs. And Christ goes on, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Often Christians measure God's blessings in terms of money and material things. Although God provided for this couple's needs, at times in very unusual ways, God did not bless them with lots of money and material things. They, they had a very modest income and a modest lifestyle. Sometimes God's blessings are non-financial. For example, God blessed John and Carol with an excellent marriage relationship, four children who came to know the Lord, and the privilege of leading many others to Christ. The salvation of an individual is a treasure in heaven that will last for eternity. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In summary, regardless of our income, Christians need to follow this couple's example and focus on things of eternal value rather than the temporal. If we do that, God will meet our needs and bless us in eternity. In Matthew 6:27, Jesus said, for the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. This completes part two of the three parts of session number one that deal with stewardship. I would encourage you to purposely watch the next and final part number three uh, that deals with biblical stewardship. I think you'll find that that brings it all together really well. If you would like to learn more about handling money God's way, be sure to check out the numerous resources available at copelandfinancialministries.org. Again, copelandfinancialministries.org. Financial Moments with Tom Copeland. 
God's Word, the Bible, contains phenomenal wisdom on finances, but unfortunately most Christians either have limited understanding of God's financial principles or they have not implemented God's truth in managing their money. For those who are not managing money God's way, Christ warned, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Matthew 7:26. However, for those who have implemented God's truths in managing money, Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. In summary, if we manage money God's way, we will be blessed. But if we do not manage money God's way, we will suffer the consequences. To learn more, check out copelandfinancialministries.org.